Thanks for joining us here at AG Kolkata. We are the church for the open arms and we serve in the city of joy, Kolkata. It is our desire to reach out to those in need and to be instruments of effective change in a hurting world. If you like to learn more about us, you can simply go to www.agkolkata.org. We hope that you'll enjoy today's message. The book of Acts opens, if you're familiar with the book, the first chapter begins with approximately 120 disciples meeting secretly, fearfully, behind closed doors, a place called the upper room. When you follow the rest of the story, by the end of the book of Acts, within a short span of 30 years, in the face of intense, relentless opposition, this small band of Jesus followers became a world movement. And that movement were accused by the end of the book of Acts of turning the world upside down. And today, 2,000 years later, this global movement continues to impact our world. And we are seated here this morning because of that impact. I want you to just watch this slightly humorous video. Maybe some of you have heard, uh, come across this. This is an uh, evangelist, a very powerful evangelist, also a very humorous evangelist, British evangelist named J. John. Uh, just watch this video. I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport, and I said, hello. And she said, oh, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well. <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. <laughs> She went, wow, and it was so loud, her wow, loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. Isn't it? If we are a follower of Jesus, wow. then we are part of a global enterprise. But not only is it global, it's intergalactic because it includes everyone that's gone before us. Wow. 
Well, any followers of Jesus here? Some of you are not sure. Well, then you're part of this intergalactic movement. Amen? You never thought of it like that, did you? Well, the fact is, that's because the word church is one of the most misunderstood and misused words. Because as it's defined in the New Testament, the church is a global movement of Jesus' followers who are passionately committed to doing God's will on earth. Period. Let me say that again. As defined in the Bible, the church is a global movement of Jesus' followers passionately committed to doing God's will on earth. It doesn't say anything about religious affiliation. It doesn't say anything about a building. It doesn't say anything about structure, organization. I'm not against any of those things. But they are incidental to what the church is. An intergalactic movement for transformation. Now, this movement was born at a certain point in history called Pentecost. Recorded in the book of Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon these 120 timid, scared, intimidated Jesus followers. It's recorded in the second chapter of Acts. These disciples were in an upper room in Jerusalem. Rewind what had happened. They were all excitedly following Jesus because they thought Jesus is going to lead a, a revolutionary movement that will throw out the Romans from their homeland and restore the kingdom of David. That was their, their limited view of what Jesus came to do. And of course, Jesus was arrested, executed, risen from the dead, and had appeared to some of them. And so, they are convinced Jesus has risen from the dead, but they are still afraid. But then they remembered one of the last commands of Jesus. He had told them, do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. Then Acts 1.8, he gave them this command and this promise. The command, by the way, in verse 4 is wait. The promise is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. That is, disciples did what Jesus told them to do. They waited in the upper room. Again, frightened, unsure. Will it happen? Would it happen? Well, he told us, let's just wait. And then it happened. So recorded in the first few verses of Acts chapter 2, Welcome to join me in reading the description of this momentous event. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Just quickly to summarize what happened. There was a sound. What was the sound? Like the blowing of a violent wind. There were visuals. They saw tongues of fire, separate tongues of fire, descending on each of them. And then, of course, the immediate impact on those on whom these tongues of fire came, it says in the very last uh, sentence in verse 4, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All dramatic manifestations. Now, these dramatic manifestations were all signs of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the first disciples. How do we know that? It says so explicitly. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go on to read the rest of the chapter, you'll find this event of the Holy Spirit being outpoured on these first generation of Jesus' followers. It caused such an uproar and commotion in the city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, at that time was a little bit like our Calcutta during Durga Puja time. Okay, It's filled with people. The only difference is the people who had come to Jerusalem were from every corner of the globe, the then, then known world at least. They were foreigners to Jerusalem. And when they came, what made them amazed, filled with awe, was as they came running to see what was happening, this uproar, they heard them speak in languages and dialects that these simple Jews had no way of learning on their own. And it says they were bewildered, amazed, filled with wonder. On the other hand, there were some who mocked, said these people have had one too many, and they are speaking stuff that they don't understand. Now, we don't know exactly after how long, but at a certain moment, Peter stands up to explain to the bystanders, a huge crowd, hundreds, if not thousands, gathered together. And in explaining what has happened, he connects this event, this earth-shattering event, to Jesus. Specifically, and I'm summarizing his message here, to the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And he invites those who are listening. He says, you know what? I'll give you the de- a little more detail later on in this message. He invites them to repent, turn around and, and join the Jesus movement. And it, is, it says, by the end of the chapter, in that one instant, 3,000 Unbelievers became believers. They joined this group of 120 right away. Now, that launched a movement which thereafter spread throughout the whole world. And most of us here who are seated here are part of that movement. Now, I'm concerned this morning not only to talk about that event, but to talk about the lasting impact of that event. Because as you read on by the end of chapter 2 of Acts, we see that this movement resulted in a community being formed. 
a community of the Holy Spirit bound together in a special relationship. And some of the features of this Holy Spirit community, we can call it that, are described in the concluding verses of Acts chapter 2. Again, you're welcome to read with me verses 42 to 47 of Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I notice many of you have Bibles, either digital version or hard copy. If you're keeping your Bible open, open it to this passage, okay? Because this is the passage we'll be returning to in the rest of this message. Now, what are the marks of a spirit-filled community? and a spirit-led movement. If the church is essentially the people of God, Jesus' followers, part of a global movement, what does it mean for us to be such a people, a people of the Spirit? This year, this is what we are going to focus on. How can we become a community of the Spirit as God intended for us to be, a global movement of restoration, bringing healing, salvation, transformation to the world around us. And so in this opening message of which, in which I intend to uh, set the context for our theme, we're going to look at simply in this passage some of the signs of features of the Spirit's presence. When the Spirit comes, what are we to expect? When the Spirit comes. When the Spirit comes, firstly, we see that He helps us to glorify Jesus. Now, this is something Jesus had highlighted when He had promised the coming of the Holy Spirit. In His farewell speeches in John 14, 15, 16, Jesus had promised, not once, twice, three or four places, he called the Holy Spirit the paraclete or the counselor, the comforter. He said, when he comes, among the many things that Jesus said he would do, prominent, and you'll see that in John 16 verse 14 is, that when he comes, he will glorify me. He will glorify me. That's a big word, isn't it? What does glorify mean? In today's terms, it very simply, if I can find a dynamic equivalent, it is the Holy Spirit, is the floodlight to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes not to talk about Himself, not even to give those who He fills and endows with gifts importance, but to focus on Jesus, the floodlight upon Jesus. And we see this 
in the very second chapter of Acts, when Peter stands up to give an explanation for this earth-shaking event that caused an uproar in Jerusalem. You notice he stands up. He doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit. He talks about Jesus. Listen to what he says, and I'm summarizing here. He begins by saying, Jesus is God's special messenger. This Jesus was crucified by evil men. God raised up this Jesus from the dead and exalted him to a place of supreme authority at the right hand of the Father. And then he goes on to say, and it is this Jesus who has poured out the Holy Spirit. And you are witnessing the result of that outpouring. That is the summary of Peter's message. And in his great climax, verse 32 of Acts 2, a punchline. This is what he says. He says to his hearers, all Jews, many of whom may have been there when Jesus was crucified. He says, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes to glorify Jesus. To draw attention to Jesus. This is why we need the Holy Spirit's presence to guide us, lead us. Every time we come to worship. Because when He comes, He comes to enable us to exalt to lift up the name of Jesus. The words of the apostles, for God has exalted him and given him a name which is above every other name. The name here signifies authority. At the name of Jesus, Paul says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Beloved, that is why if you notice, if you're new to this church, we don't give as much importance to form and ritual as we give to the attitude of the heart. That's why it's also important that every person participates. The Holy Spirit doesn't just live on the platform here. He doesn't just anoint the worship leader. He comes to enable every human being whose heart is open to the Lordship of Jesus to lead the universe. In giving praise, honor, and glory to Jesus. And if you look at the last book of the Bible, which tells us how it's going to be when we reach the other side. The centerpiece of heaven, the centerpiece of universe, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what we do, when we gather together as believers here, either in a large gathering like this, or in smaller groups in our homes, is rehearsal. It's practice for what we are going to do when we are in the direct presence of our living God. So this is the critical test, by the way. Every time believers get together, whether it is in a small group or large group, whether we are singing songs of worship, opening our mouths to pray or praise, whether someone stands up to testify, this is the test. Care group leaders, pastors, the bottom line question, is it glorifying Jesus? Is it glorifying Jesus? The moment anyone turns focus away from Jesus in worship or testimony or preaching, 
No matter how great the preacher, if you find the person, the worship leader preacher, drawing attention to himself, uh-uh, you know, when you give a wrong answer on the television panel, mm, the buzz, that should go off in your heart. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. His glory. The Holy Spirit comes. No matter what the signs, wonders, no matter how beautiful the music, no matter how dramatic the miracle, if it's not glorifying to Jesus, red light, it's not the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, He helps us to glorify Jesus. Secondly, when the Spirit comes, He helps us to grow in Jesus. I told you I'm going to refer to that Acts 2, 42 to 47 passage. And you'll see there, the very first thing the new believers did was, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, this is a test of a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit, friends. I know when I accepted Jesus, the most, you know, some people have very emotional, dramatic experiences. Mine was not like that. But one thing I was very conscious of, the next morning, I wanted to know more about this Jesus. I wanted to grow in my relationship with Jesus. And if you are aware of such a thing as the Bible, God's Word, it will give you a hunger for God's Word. So the early disciples sat at the feet of the apostles and grew as they learned. Just something to highlight here, friends. They didn't just devote themselves to any teaching that was flying around. There were lots of teachings, religious and otherwise, going around, okay? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. A side note here. There was such a thing as good teaching and bad teaching. Right teaching, wrong teaching. It's important, especially in these days, you know, where teaching is available, plenty of it, and some of that is good, the television, internet, and of course, there are some people who feel, you know, because we have teaching on the internet and we have, uh, uh, you know, services on TV, we don't need to even go for a worship service. I have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is enough to teach me. I don't need to listen to any human being. Friends, false, wrong. The early church, early followers of Christ had a, such a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, but they still needed to sit at the feet of the apostles to get the right kind of teaching. And I'll tell you why. Particularly in our country, where we have so many religious books, and some of the books, we read it as mythology. Some of the books, we see it as a book of magic or mantras, right? And we think... The Bible is a book of mantras, and we think, and by the way, I'm in, uh, we encourage people to memorize scripture, but we think, you know, if I just memorize scripture and keep repeating that scripture, it has magical power. No offense, the Bible is not to be read or, or used that, like that. It's not a book of magic. It's not a book that we just understand superficially and apply whatever in any way we want it 
uh, what, the way we want to apply. The danger is, someone said, you can find a verse in the Bible for anything. If you look hard enough. Which is why the scripture teaches very clearly, no scripture is supposed to be interpreted privately. It's not for private interpretation. We must have a correct understanding of God's word and apply it to our lives. That is not to scare anyone from reading the Bible. Because the word of God is not meant just for specialists, you know, like pastors, evangelists, theologians to read, Bible college teachers to read and understand. Every true follower of Jesus must be a serious student of God's word. And if you attended some of our services last year, you know that was our emphasis last year, right? What was our theme? Love the word, learn the word, live the word. That's right. And just because the year is over doesn't mean we forget the emphasis. In fact, as a church, we take it very seriously, friends. That's why we have, under the Equip Institute, which all our pastors participate in. Pastor Cynthia Fernandez, who led in prayer a little while ago, she's the director. It's an attempt to provide sound teaching at every level. From radical discipleship, before that, rock solid, if you're a new believer, you want to know what the basics are. We have a course called Radical Discipleship which leads you to fully committed membership. We have His Majesty's service, preparation for leadership or ministry in the church. We even have Pastor Jacob leading at HMS or his, uh, 2, which takes those who finished the first level of HMS to another level. Then we also have, in partnership with our Bible college, Dr. Arun Sarkar is here, the ICOM course which is level beyond that. And you know what? Beyond that, there are some in our church today who are even serious enough to study Master of Divinity program. I'm talking about not pastors. I'm talking about people just like you, full-time, pursuing a full-time career, who are so earnest about studying God's Word. They're even you know, doing what many are doing to residential study. They're doing part-time. Why all this? By the way, I'm encouraged by the response. I'm really encouraged by the response to see the passion of God's people to study God's word. And I want to say this up front. Every believer who's serious about their Jesus followership should actually be enrolled to something, be learning something, growing somewhere. Because when the Spirit comes, and if the Spirit is alive and work in you, He's, he's always prompting you to grow in Jesus. And we need his help to understand God's word and grow in Christ. By the way, if you are seated here and you're saying, Pastor, you know what? My schedule is impossible. I would love to give time to one of these courses, HMS or, you know, Equip Institute or whatever. I have a suggestion for you. If you don't have, if you're somebody who's working 14 hours a day, no weekends, all of that, Okay, there's a, there's a beautiful Bible app called Read Scripture. I don't know if it, they, yeah, Read Scripture. 
it's actually will take you less than 30 seconds to download. And what it allows you to do is it has arranged the entire message of the Bible in beautiful segments. Each segment has, I think, one of the finest video summaries I've ever seen. Video summary of each segment. Beautifully done, beautifully illustrated. And it takes you through a reading of the whole Bible, systematically, along with a psalm in each section. And by the way, you can choose the pace at which you go through it. You can do it in a year. If you want to spread it over one or two years, you can still do it. It's so handy, so convenient, very efficient. One touch. Uh, why am I saying this? You can, there's absolutely no excuse in 2019 January for anyone to say, it's hard for me to grow in Jesus because I don't have access to the right resources. When the Spirit comes, He helps us to grow in Jesus. Thirdly, when the Spirit comes, He helps us to live the Jesus life. Pastor, what do you mean by this? I know when most people hear that, they think, you know, God wants me to be holy. He wants me to be righteous. He wants me to do this. Don't do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jesus' life in the way the Acts 2 community of believers experienced it. It says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Also goes on to say, the Lord added to their fellowship. I don't usually like to throw out Greek words, but this is a word I simply have to introduce if you are not familiar with it. It's the word koinonia. Everyone say with me, koinonia. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Because it really... It's hard to translate in the English language, but one way of simple uh, translation is the word sharing. It's the sharing of common life. And this is why I like the word so much. It describes in the first instance the life of God. And as you know, the Bible reveals God as triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A shared life. That's where it begins. But in the invitation to a person to enter the kingdom through bowing our knees to the Lordship of Christ, it's an invitation to be connected to the shared life of God. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is the life of the Holy Spirit, that is the Jesus life. The Jesus life. And it's through the Holy Spirit that God gives to us the Jesus life and includes us in the divine family. That's essentially what koinonia is. Now notice the early churches, soon, as they, soon after they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, when I described what koinonia is earlier, some of you may have said, Pastor, that sounds pretty mystical, okay? God's life shared with us. But it's actually very practical. Why? It's not just sharing in spiritual stuff. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to sharing in meals, food. 
praying together. In fact, what we see is the hub of early church life was believers meeting together regularly. Regularly. Why? Because they're sharing in the koinonia, the life of God. Where did they meet? Homes. In fact, the early believers met mostly in homes, almost exclusively in homes. It may surprise you to know that Jesus, Paul, Peter, none of them preached in a building like this. By the way, that's why some people say, Pastor, care group, where does it come from? Right here, from the book of Acts. They also met this, here in the book of Acts. In the earlier days, they met in temple courts. Later on, they couldn't do that. But in those early days, they met in temple courts when all believers from all the home groups would gather together, just like we do here on Sunday and other days. How often did they meet? According to the scripture in Acts, daily, every day. I like to interpret it as as often as they could. Why? They shared the common life, the koinonia. The Jesus life is a life of sharing. Mistake we have made is in emphasizing so much personal holiness. There's a place for that. Moral purity, there's a place for that. But the New Testament emphasis here in the book of Acts, this word sharing, by the way, in this short passage is used four times. It's the word koinonia. It means being interconnected. Caring for one another. In a world marked by divisions, koinonia breaks down all gender, social, economic, caste, and class barriers. Do you hear that? So it's not just some airy-fairy mystical thing that's going on here. It's absolutely practical. In a world where prejudice and bias run so deep, nepotism, ethnocentrism, misogyny, all of these things which divide, Cause strife, cause violence. Koinonia goes exactly the opposite and says the kingdom of God is like this. There's no gender barriers. There's no ethnic barriers. There's no economic barriers. When we gather together around the table of the Lord, when we gather together worship, we are colorblind. We don't have any caste bias. We don't have any national bias. We don't have any racial bias. That is the power of koinonia, friends. We experience Genuine love, great joy, and generosity. Do we experience it perfectly? No. But this is the ideal towards which we are supposed to be working daily in the, in the power of God's Spirit. Incidentally, that is why care groups are such a vital part of where the Lord is taking us as a church. For care groups are, in a sense like our showcase and laboratory. Laboratory, why? Because that's where we practice real koinonia. 
It's one thing to preach about royal koinonia over here. It's quite another thing when you're actually sharing a meal with someone and you don't, your taste is different from theirs. Their sense of hygiene is different from yours. Maybe you come from a somewhat high-class family and you have to go and have koinonia in somebody whose social status is lower than you. For those who are from a high caste background, it breaks you. It really breaks you. You die a hundred deaths. But that's part of our growth. Fellow believers can be difficult, obnoxious sometimes. But God says, you know what? She's a work in progress and so are you. <laughs> so it's a laboratory for koinonia. It's also a showcase. Gives us a chance to showcase the Jesus life. So when people come and visit, invited to your home, and they say, this person is Bengali, Maharashtrian, Northeast, Chinese. You're all sitting together, eating together. You say, yeah, that's how it's going to be like in God's kingdom. And we're just having a rehearsal. And the Spirit comes. He helps to glorify Jesus. When the Spirit comes, He helps us to grow in Jesus. When the Spirit comes, He helps us to live the Jesus life. And finally, when the Spirit comes, He helps us to bear witness to Jesus. Notice what it says. A deep sense of awe came over them all. And he's referring to the wider community. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When the Spirit comes in power, God, things begin to happen. Every time we meet together, we must come with a sense of anticipation. And by the way, friends, many God things are happening in our midst. Maybe you're one of those who doesn't know what's happening. There always are people. In any, but things are happening. If you were here for the, for the uh, watch night service, we, you had a glimpse in some of the testimony stories that were shared of some, how God things are happening in our midst. I shared this in the previous service. Pastor Krishna, who leads the Aradhana service, fresh yesterday. My wife came home, wife came home from Aradhana and said, we had so many beautiful testimonies in Aradhana. He talked about a lady who stood up and said, you know what, I, I was in a coma in ICCU. Doctors had given up on me. Somebody told us that Jesus, told my family, Jesus can heal me. They started praying to Jesus. She said, I'm standing here today as testimony that Jesus works miracles. <laughs> Another testimony she shared was about a young lady who said, her family was on the rocks because it's an unfortunate reality of our world. She's, she said, we had three daughters and my husband, obviously male chauvinist, okay, uh, with the gender bias. He was so angry that he didn't have a son. When I started expecting a fourth child, he became very bitter and angry and said, if the fourth child is a girl, I'm going to divorce and walk away from you. It's very sad. 
tribute of our time. But see the mercy and grace of God. She said, when I, we were so afraid. In fact, the mother was there apparently. She said, you know, I helped my daughter to take some medicine that would abort the fetus. That's how terrified they were of the outcome. It didn't work. Then we heard that there's a God who hears the cries of people like us. We prayed. And then she pointed out to her fourth child, I think two or three years old, little boy, who was there at the church. Give glory to God, friends. He's alive. God, things happen. Or let me, let me make it very clear, friends. The fact that God does miracles doesn't mean that Koinonia is a place that will make hospitals and doctors redundant. No. It doesn't mean that the koinonia, the fellowship of God's presence, is a place where we have a quick fix-it for all problems. Okay, My business has a problem, come get prayer, zap, everything is okay. God's promise to respond to prayer and our experience of signs and wonders doesn't mean that the community of God's people is a perfect place. We are not yet in the place that we will be after Jesus' second coming. If that were the case, we don't need heaven, you understand? Because some people come and say, you know, Pastor, yes, but why doesn't God heed everybody? By the way, God is not my servant to do my bidding. Why doesn't God fix this the way I want it? Because He's God. There is still, we live in an imperfect world, a broken world, a complex world where evil and good are constantly in battle. And pastor, what are you talking about? I'm talking about a God who does regularly prove that he's alive, prove that he's the God who has brought in his kingdom to earth in us when he gives us evidence of his presence. That's what it is. Evidence of his presence and a foretaste of what life is going to be like when the kingdom comes in its fullness. In a sense, it's a little bit like when you walk outside past a new restaurant. You know the guys who stand outside? Say, taste, karo yaar. Taste. That is the job of the, ch the church people have got today. Taste. Kingdom is coming. Kingdom is coming. This is what it's going to be like. Taste. 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 So what is the purpose of the koinonia of God's people today? The Holy Spirit comes to enable us as the fellowship of God's people to bear witness to Jesus. That's the purpose. To bear witness to Jesus. And what does that do? First of all, the disciples enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. Why? Because the disciples were good people. The Holy Spirit made them good people. When the Holy Spirit comes in power and you yield to His intervention in your life and you grow in Jesus, you should become a better husband, a better wife. You should become better parents. You should become a better worker, a more faithful worker. You should become a better neighbor. You should, you may have been eccentric before you came to Jesus. If you are really submitted to the work of the Holy Spirit, you should start dropping off that eccentricity. You should be going through a process of change. 
That's why they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people. The fragrance of Jesus spread through them. They were a blessing to their community. And then the ultimate outcome, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. The treasure that we've received, the pearl of great price that has become our possession. God says, don't be selfish. Share it. Share Jesus' saving grace. Share, his sa share Jesus' power. Tell the world Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus delivers. Jesus gives life. Jesus brings hope. Share it. And let people decide. And you know what? Because their experience of the Holy Spirit was so genuine, so deep, so life-transforming. The Lord added, how often? Daily. Daily. That is my prayer for every community of the Holy Spirit in our city. That we will truly because we truly experience the life of the Spirit, the Jesus life in us, people will touch the Jesus life and it's the most powerful, attractive life. They will want it. They will be drawn to it. I often ask myself, as I ask you this morning, when the Holy Spirit comes, He comes to help us bear witness to Jesus. Today's language, bear witness is advertisement. What kind of an advertisement am I in? What kind of advertisement are you? you know, colleagues at work, colleagues at school, excuse me, pointing, but you know, three fingers are pointing at me. If they had to judge Jesus from your life, will they say, oh boy, not for me? Or will they say, I want it. I want it. Not that we are perfect people. We are broken people in the making. We don't try to put on a show that we, you know, we are already there, no friends. But when they see us with all our warts and weaknesses, but with the treasure of Jesus shining through these broken pots, that's what I am. I'm a cracked pot. And so are you. But if the beauty of Jesus, the radiance of Jesus is in me, it will shine forth. So yes, friends, as I bring this message to a close, let me quickly say, this church exists because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit all across the globe over 100 years ago. It was a modern outpouring of the Holy Spirit spread all across the globe, including our own nation of India. Right here in our city, by the way, the earliest recorded Pentecostal outpouring occurred, do you know when? In the year 1907. There's a record of that. A couple by the name of Alfred and Lillian Garr, American missionaries, had revival meetings in our city. And let me quickly read for you. Don't get distracted, please. Just, I'm, I'm almost done. 
This is an excerpt from a description of what happened in one of those meetings. I quote, The deep sense of conviction of sin resulted in people falling to the floor. Shrieking, groaning, sobbing, shaking. Spirit came in power. These are some of the manifestations. Other features included frequent reading of jubilant psalms. Vocal expressions such as praise the Lord, glory to God, hallelujah, in addition to holy laughter. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, different voices blended, creating awe-inspiring singing in tongues. In one instance, a person even wrote in an unknown language. When holding a pen, their hand was moved rapidly by an unseen power across the paper. Listen to this. Another time, a strong current of wind blew through a seeker's meeting, making it seem as if they were reliving the day of Pentecost themselves. Sometimes, believers engaged in intercessory prayer with groans that words cannot express. Friends, let me say to you this morning, very upfront, we don't seek after manifestations, okay? Whatever they may be. We seek after his presence, the Holy Spirit's presence. And the Holy Spirit is such a gentle person. At the same time, because he is God, he is unpredictable. We don't judge his impact or influence based on how loudly you shout or whether you howl or shriek. That's not at the same time. When we invite the Holy Spirit, we can't give him terms of engagement. You know what I mean? We say simply, honestly, Pastor Cynthia used the word transparently, come, Holy Spirit. Let's. Our theme for this year, friends, is based a simple prayer. Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Thanks for listening to this message from AG Kolkata. We hope you would stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by using at AGC Kolkata. We would love to know how this message has touched your life. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing us at stories at agkolkata.org. Hope you have a great week ahead.